In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. America is our closest ally. Our best geopolitical buddy. Canada benefits a lot from this relationship, and by and large, the two countries are as close as nations can be. Except for sometimes, when, well, when America wants our stuff. They're a lot bigger than us, so even when they ask nicely, it still feels a little worrying. This time, they would like our drugs. Or at least, I should clarify, the cheap ones. You may have heard that everything involving healthcare is much more expensive in the United States. This includes most prescription pharmaceuticals, so the state of Florida and others asked the Food and Drug Administration if they could, maybe, just buy some cheap drugs in bulk from Canada and save a bunch of money. And the FDA just said yes, which has placed Canada in the somewhat awkward position of having to say no and then having to enforce that no. So how does this all work? What happens next here? And hey, never mind the United States for a moment, why don't we have enough of some drugs for Canadians? And what should we do about that? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Joelle Walker is the Vice President of Public Affairs for the Canadian Pharmacists Association. And I guess when I look at this story, Joelle, I wonder if uh, you guys are kind of caught in the middle. Pharmacists are the ones who are dispensing drugs to Canadians. So, of course, they're always stuck in the middle, trying to figure out how to manage their own supply and then figuring out a way, supposedly, to uh, supply a country that's 10 times our size. So definitely not a great place to be. Right. Maybe let's start with how this situation came about. Can you explain to us just briefly uh, what the American Food and Drug Administration ruled that the state of Florida is now allowed to do? I think it's kind of interesting to think that this has been around, like this idea of importing drugs from Canada has been around for over 20 years. In fact, when I was watching uh, The West Wing over the holidays, there was an episode there focused on, on drug importation. But the newest piece, of course, is this Florida news and the fact that Florida asked the U.S. FDA to approve a proposal to bring in drugs from Canada into into the state. And surprisingly to us, anyways, the U.S. FDA approved that that proposal, even though they knew we have regulations here in Canada that would restrict that exportation. Let's explore, first of all, uh, the concept of Americans importing drugs from Canada. To your point, it's been around for a very long time. Uh, Which drugs would Americans, or I guess in this case, Florida in particular, uh, want to buy from us? And why would they want to buy from us specifically? Drugs in Canada are cheaper in some circumstances, not all circumstances. And so uh, particularly patented drugs, 
uh, tend to be more expensive in the U.S. than they are in Canada. And that's the ones that they're looking for. People, you know, have probably heard of the uh, caravans, people coming to buy insulin from Canada in the past. And these were people who were driving across the border to do that. And, you know, we were never concerned about that just because it was such small numbers. But certainly they're looking to import some of those in bulk. There's some HIV medications and mental health as well, specific to Florida. But ultimately it could impact like all different types of uh, drugs in Canada uh, that are not generic. What is the history here before this FDA ruling? Uh, You mentioned people crossing the border in caravans. I think everybody uh, who lives in a Canadian town or an American town near the border has heard stories like that. Um, Have there been other attempts to try this at scale? Probably not at scale, uh, other than the fact that several states now, not just Florida, there are nine states and counting that have tried to propose some kind of plan to import drugs in recent memory. But certainly the ones we're most uh, used to are these individual people who are coming up buying personal supply. So maybe a couple months supply and then driving back to the U.S. And that's never been an issue for from a pharmacy perspective here in Canada or supply. But I'll share an example that came up recently that did sort of uh, pique our interest, which was that the drug Ozempic, the very popular drug Ozempic for weight loss, right. was being imported by in- individual Americans, so not in mass. And they were getting them out of BC primarily. And that actually uh, caused the ministry in BC. They uh, looked at some of the data and noticed that a lot of the supply was starting to go down to individual Americans. And they actually put in some regulations to restrict that because the numbers were starting to be so concerning, because it was a popular drug. So who knows, you know, in the future, drugs here uh, may become a little bit more, uh, if there's more attention on them or for whatever reason, especially if Americans see, you know, a headline in the news like, Florida can, you know, import drugs from Canada. People don't necessarily read the fine print and they'll think, oh, we can go and get drugs from Canada and they'll order online. And that in itself could cause a shortage when we think about the number of Americans who might be interested in that. Ozempic aside, because everybody has heard about the shortages there and and it's so popular now, but uh, do we have enough drugs in Canada for everyone who needs them without America coming to perhaps buy some of them? We definitely don't have enough drugs here in Canada. Sometimes we have shortages of our own. In fact, on any given day, you can go to the drugshortages.ca website, which is a website that Health Canada maintains where manufacturers, like drug companies are required to put in whether they're expecting a shortage. And you can find like over 1,500 actual shortages on any given day. Today, there's 1,850 actual shortage. They're not all huge. They're not all, you know, going to impact the patient at the, the pharmacy level, but they are very concerning. Uh, so this idea that, you know, even one single state, Florida is 21 million people, that's more than half the size of Canada, right. would be importing drugs makes no sense at all for us. The, the supply that we come is for Canadians. It's designated for Canadian patients, not for a, a market that's significantly larger than ours. You mentioned off the top when we began discussing this that uh, the FDA gave Florida this permission despite the fact that Canada appears to have regulations in place here. What does Canada say about this practice? I think it's really good news. The government of Canada has said on several occasions that they will take any necessary measure to protect the drug supply here in Canada. And the regulations that they've put in place basically mean that anybody here in Canada who wants to like participate in this plan with Florida would have to sort of apply to Health Canada and demonstrate that their exportation wouldn't cause a shortage. And I think it's pretty simple math. If you're thinking about exporting the type of quantities that such a market would need, that in itself, that would cause a shortage. So we feel pretty good about those regulations. 
and that the government of Canada has said very uh, unequivocally that they want to protect our supply. But we always concern about gray markets, gray uh, practices that come up, loopholes that can be exploited. And it's just not great for us to have sort of this focus on our Canadian drug supply by the United States. The gray market and the loopholes uh, were going to be my next questions. Like, ultimately, what can Health Canada as a body do to prevent uh, individual drug wholesalers or sellers from selling to whomever they want? Like, how would they even monitor that? There's different ways of doing it. And certainly by putting in the regulations in place, it will send a signal to wholesalers who want to keep their licenses that they need to follow the process. And I think for the most part, that's absolutely going to be the case. I think some of the concerns that we have in terms of loopholes is these sort of individual, smaller programs that might try to, uh, you know, identify one single drug uh, and, you know, want to focus on that, that might be a little harder to, to tell. Or as I mentioned, people seeing the news in the United States, whatever state that they're in, start to import from Canada on an individual basis. That in itself could be really concerning from a supply perspective. Mm-hmm. So Again, it's sort of up to us. We have to monitor all of this. Um, Certainly when we're having uh, conversations with Health Canada, we're stressing that every time a new proposal is put in place by uh, one of the nine or so states that are doing this, let's take a look, a careful look at the number of drugs that they want. Let's make sure that those drugs um, are carefully monitored from a Canadian perspective, and then we can identify potential issues that, that come out. But for the most part, these regulations are going to be very helpful for Health Canada as they monitor people who have Health Canada-issued licenses, essentially. How much money uh, might we be talking about here in terms of savings that would motivate Florida and other states to do it? You know, I can totally understand an individual, uh, especially someone dealing with uh, insane medical prices in the United States, wanting to come up here and save some money getting a prescription filled Why would a state want to do this at scale? Uh, What are the savings? Well, they are anticipating some pretty significant savings on their end. And that may be true if you look at just the pure cost of drugs. But what's also interesting is that the US FDA has also put in some requirements for uh, these US importers to say that if you're going to bring the drugs into the US, you need to, A, you need to inspect those shipments, make sure you're getting the right drugs, and you need to relabel them. Uh, to make sure that they meet sort of the U.S. FDA requirements, because we have different labeling here in in Canada. Um, And that has a cost as well. So from a practicality perspective, I'm not entirely sure what the savings will ultimately end up being. And, uh, you know, although we're very concerned about these proposals uh, for a few reasons, I'm also not sure that they're actually very practical and that they'll actually come to fruition. So You know, we have always said, you know, there's no uh, immediate threat to the Canadian drug supply here in Canada and patients shouldn't feel the need to rush to their pharmacies and refill their prescriptions early because that in itself uh, can cause a spike in demand that isn't good for supply. So I'm not sure that this is actually ever going to come to pass in any meaningful way. Uh, We are watching very carefully, of course, to see what happens, but not seeing a huge danger at this point. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split screen, 
Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. So do we already export drugs that we don't have shortages of to America? The entire space of drug supply is kind of complicated. Canada imports most of our drug supply here to Canada. And when we're talking about the drugs that the United States is interested in importing, I mean, ultimately, they're the same manufacturers that supply the Canadian market to the to the U.S. market. Right. So you sort of think to yourself, like, what's what's the game here? And, and from a Canadian perspective, you know, certainly I, I don't know any manufacturers who want to send drugs to Canada to then ship them back to the States at a lower price point than that what they were selling directly to the United States. Yeah, that seems like um, a long way to go in order for states, I guess, to get uh, a little bit of savings because, as you mentioned, they have to relabel these things and inspect them and et cetera, et cetera. That's right. And it's certainly not the cost savings that we think they're going to get, but that's sort of the conversation that Florida is going to have to have with the US FDA because they really have to demonstrate the cost assessment. And I believe that's one of the aspects of the you know, the proposal that they need to still go through with this US FDA to get the final stamp of approval. Here's a question. Where is the line between individuals and scale? And I ask this because there have been stories of, and I think you mentioned as well, like not just individuals, but groups or caravans who have come up here to get their prescriptions filled. But what's the difference between, I guess, a a few people in a Volkswagen, a dozen people in a bus, or uh, somebody with a tractor trailer? Sure, we know, actually. You know, we certainly know that in the past, somebody who was coming in, um, sometimes in an organized fashion, it was a bus coming over the border to a pharmacy, wasn't a huge problem. Uh, We had heard a a story of of a Canadian who had gone to their pharmacy uh, just after a a bus had come in and the supply wasn't available of of insulin. Hmm. But because of the drug supply in Canada, like he was able to get it the very next day. So not a big issue in that particular circumstance. But with you know, the comfort that now I think everybody's feeling ordering online, that's opening a door that I don't know that we really have fully explored. Right. So it's not an obvious answer. In the context of BC and Ozempic, those numbers were, you know, tens of thousands of prescriptions were going out. That was a concern from a, a shortage perspective. And not that this is what actually caused the shortage, but we are now in an Ozempic Uh, shortage in Canada, not related specifically to that example, but, you know, the global demand has pushed, pushed on that. So just general discussion about these plans to us is a bad idea because it encourages people to look to Canada, even in small quantities. You can never sort of anticipate what ultimately is going to happen. I mean, obviously, pharmacists in general aren't wholesalers. What role do you guys play in this process? And I mean, when I think of it in my head or picture it in my head, you guys are kind of the foot soldiers. But explain how that translates on the ground and and what you do in this equation. It's tough for a pharmacist. You know, you have some patient who comes in uh, and you want to help whoever's in front of you at your pharmacy, especially with those people who were coming in and you would see Uh, parents coming in for the insulin for their children or others, you want to help the person that's in front of you. So pharmacists are put in a really difficult situation if you're asking them to decide who you're going to provide the supply to or not. And they deal with that every day. We have so many shortages that that we have currently. Right. People might remember the EpiPen uh, shortage years ago. And it was a question of like, are you breaking up these pens so that you can extend the supplies as much as possible? For Canadians. So um, certainly the drug shortage issue for Canada has been one that's been growing over the last several years. Uh, A few years ago, we did a poll and 79% of pharmacists had said that 
in the last five years, uh, shortages had increased dramatically. And since then, we've seen a huge growth of really problematic shortages, including things like kids' Tylenol for fever and pain. So it's not an easy position to be in to be a pharmacist dealing with shortages. And they spend about 20% of their day uh, dealing with shortages on a daily basis. I mean, that's time that they're not spending with a patient, that they're not counseling somebody on how best to take their drugs or doing other things that are good for the healthcare system. At the same time as we are now, uh, in a couple of provinces at least, asking them to diagnose uh, simple illnesses and treat those. The healthcare system needs pharmacists to be doing frontline primary care service. So the idea that they would be spending their time managing their inventories, trying to find supply from a different pharmacy, to us is really absurd. And why we think that the drug shortage issue is one that Canada really needs to look at both from the context of importation, but just generally, even outside of importation, we need to have a much stronger supply of, of drugs here in Canada to meet the needs of Canadians on an everyday basis. Yeah, let's leave aside um, America coming for our drugs for a moment, at least, because it's not happening at scale yet, even though it's the uh, uh, the more threatening part of this. What should we be doing right now to ensure that we have the drugs that Canadians need? And Do enough Canadians know how many drugs we are short? I mean, I just learned it now talking to you, and I'm usually pretty tuned in to uh, the needs of our healthcare system thanks to this show. In 2019, I believe, we did a poll and we asked Canadians if they had experienced a drug shortage. And I was really shocked to hear that about a quarter of Canadians said that either they or a friend or family had experienced a shortage. I thought that number was going to be much lower So I think people are are generally aware that when they go to their pharmacy, if they can't get their drugs, that's a really big issue. I think we're also, we're most vulnerable, I think, as a country when you only have like maybe one, maybe even two types of a particular drug, Hmm. which means that if one drug goes short, you know, for whatever reason, it could be like, say, the, the plant in another country or even in Canada, there's been an issue and they've had to shut down for a few days or weeks. If you only have sort of one alternative, it's really hard to actually get those other companies to increase that supply. So we're most vulnerable when we don't have many uh, companies selling similar products on the market to enable switching. So that's a real challenge. And we've also learned a lot in recent years about problems when um, there's a supply issue. So again, something happens at the plant or there's a there's a pandemic and you can't get drugs into the country, but demand-driven shortages are uh, growing. So for the Tylenol, uh, kids Tylenol last year that people will remember, that was actually because the demand was so high. Right. It's not that there was an issue of production. Each shortage is sometimes different and complicated. And uh, we want to make sure that at least the government of Canada, working with all the partners, are increasing the number of drugs available uh, on the market and making it appealing for companies to bring their markets to Canada. Last question then, as we look at uh, what Florida and, as you mentioned, other states are attempting to do, what will you be watching for over the next several months? What comforts you here and what concerns you? Just continuing to look at, you know, each of the different proposals. Um, Texas, for example, I mean, that's a population of uh, 30-some million people. They're also looking to import drugs from Canada. Wisconsin. Hawaii recently put in another proposal or a bill in their legislature to allow it. So we're going to be looking at which other states are looking to do this. We're going to be working with Health Canada and other stakeholders to assess whether the regulations address the uniqueness of each proposal. And then uh, certainly, you know, speaking to all of our stakeholders in our pharmacies to make sure that uh, people understand the issue, that there's no 
urgent threat and that Canadians shouldn't rush to their pharmacies. So it's uh, definitely for us is a, a constantly monitoring file. Uh, and it definitely concerns us when more and more states see that Florida has been approved because then they're more likely to you know, introduce legislation in their own state and apply to the F- US FDA. And uh, hopefully the US FDA and the federal administration in the US will look at uh, the measures we've put in place and the concerns that we have and uh, be thoughtful in how they, they address these proposals moving forward. Joelle, thank you so much for this. It's a fascinating issue that uh, I now know a lot more about clearly than I did a few minutes ago. Thanks so much for having me. Joelle Walker from the Canadian Pharmacists Association. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you'd like to tell us a story about people getting drugs from the United States and Canada or Canadians facing shortages of drugs, you can let us know. We're always interested in what you think of our episodes or any feedback you have. You can do that by emailing us. Hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca is that address. You can also call us. Leave a voicemail. The phone number is 416-935-5935. This podcast, as well as the other podcast that we make and I host called In This Economy, is available in every single podcast player. And in most of them, it's rated quite well. Thanks to all you folks, and we appreciate it every time you leave us one. And if it's constructive criticism, we appreciate that too. And if it's pure hate... Then we post it in Slack and make fun of you. Either way, let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.